Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Eyal Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we're now on our fifth year, but it's true. And it's only because of you, the listeners. And if you'd like to see us stick around for another five years, there are a few simple things that you can do that would really, really help us out. And I would be endlessly appreciative. Number one, share our episodes with your friends. If you get something out of these episodes, I'm sure they will too. So please share us with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me and our guests too. My Instagram is at audio, And let me just let you know that we love seeing ourselves tagged in these posts. Who knows? We might even respond. And number three, leave us reviews and five stars, please, anywhere you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again, I want to thank you all for the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never ever charge you for this podcast and i will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way possible all i ask in return is a share post and a tag now let's get on with it hello everybody welcome to the urm podcast my guest today has been on before i love him it's trevor from the black dahlia murder he's the vocalist and uh i'd say that black dahlia murder is one of my favorite metal bands ever and I just love talking to this guy. If you heard the last episode, it was just a great one. So I'm going to cut my intro. Let's just talk to Trevor. Here we go. Well, Trevor, welcome back to the URM podcast. Ah, thanks for having me, man. It was a great time last time. It was. I think that's the last time we spoke, too. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's it's been a minute. Yeah, that's back when I was uh, still in Michigan. I'm out here in Brooklyn now. Really? Yep. Why? What happened? I just thought it would be exciting. It definitely has been. I've been out here for like two years and change. I met a girl that lived out here. That was a pretty easy situation for me to move into. Yes. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to be plugged into the scene, you know, where like lots of, uh, death metal shows were happening. And this is definitely the spot for that, man. That's for sure. It more active than Detroit. Ah, uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Detroit's kind of like fallen on hard times the last couple of years. I think that we've been bumped from like a B market to like a Z market now. Z market. So like bands barely come in. You know, you have to kind of go out the same way you came in, much like Florida. Dude, Florida. <laughs> so that's like a pain in the ass for bands, you know, being on a peninsula sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Florida is, I mean, I, I've always had a special bad place in my heart for it, but now it's, I feel like every, all the shit that I talked about Florida is now... I'm validated by everything that's going on with it now. Like every, because uh, I always talk shit about how dumb that place is. And yeah, now, we now have we're, the, see, the we're seeing it. The proof is on paper. Yep. <laughs> it's more than just Florida, man. It's uh, it's a widespread thing. Are you digging Brooklyn? Oh uh, yeah, dude. I love it, man. It's, you know, it's a big uh, shock to the system, like as a change from uh, suburban Michigan, you know? Just tons of people, tons of subculture. You know, you'll be walking down the street and you'll see like-minded individuals that you don't know, which is wild. You know? <laughs> you know, that's something interesting. I used to notice this when I was a teenager going to metal shows and I noticed it as an adult too, but maybe you can relate. You know, like when you'd be at a show and there'd just be like those people that 
you have no idea how they exist in the world. Uh, they're just like, the only place you ever see them is at a show. You don't understand how they can possibly be real people in the real world with real lives. They're just unique to metal, like the most extreme metal heads you could ever possibly imagine. Like everything you could imagine about the stereotype of a metal head, but just like times 10,000. I always thought that was interesting. Oh, for sure, for sure. You know, I still figuring out how I exist outside of a metal show. To to be honest, <laughs> you, you know. Speaking of, I think it's interesting that after all these years, you still want to get even closer to it because a lot of people, you know, who've been around, uh, they the last thing they want to do is immerse themselves in the culture because I mean they they do it so much for work. It's I. I'm not surprised because I know that you're like, I know that you're an encyclopedia of metal. Um, like, so I'm not surprised, but I think it's rare. It's very rare. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. You know, I see a lot of guys that have been around as long as, as we have in BDM. And uh, some of them don't even listen to metal regularly. They just kind of like are over, feel overexposed to it, you know, in their lives. And, but for me, it's just, you know, it's how I stay kind of grounded. I'm always checking out new bands, you know, even at demo levels and watching Bandcamp and watching all the airwaves for new music coming down the pipes. And, you know, this is what I'd be doing if I wasn't in the band or or not pretty much. It's just like what I like to do and yeah, keeps me young, keeps me excited about metal. And, you know, I, I kind of like bring that energy into Black Dahlia Murder, too. And, uh, you know, I've been able to kind of turn it into like doing some columns where I shout out young bands and stuff. And I've which seen been, that, which is great. It's been, been really fun. And, you know, it's been a good look for the band to just be like, hey, you know, we're not like these selfish assholes, you know, like uh, we care about the scene and, you know, that we're the underground that we're from. And, you know, so I think that that's been a been a good look. And um yeah, man, it's just uh, it's just good for my good for my soul, dude. Stay plugged into things and just be a fan. You know, I think that the Black Dahlia Murder was was built on a, a band of of fans. You know what I mean? Just kind of like taking a little bit of everything we like and melding it into some kind of Frankenstein. But always been fans first in the band. Definitely like seen it through that lens. You know? Yeah, and it's it's really really clear, and I think it's cool on several levels that you're doing that for younger bands because i think that it's like the responsibility of the established people in the scene to help the next generation come to light or not even necessarily the next generation just people who are still coming up like and it doesn't even have to be in the underground like you know slipknot used to do that or still do that for like Slipknot taking Behemoth out, for instance, or I remember when Tool took Meshuggah out, like, or In Flames, like, those those types of things have profound impacts on the scene surviving, in my opinion. Oh, for sure. There's just so much trickle down. It's like a, you know, it's just like it makes a major wave, you know, not just a ripple, but, uh, you know, like with the columns and stuff, they would say that they would get like 10,000 hits. So you have... This little brutal death metal band from Peru, all of a sudden getting ten thousand eyes on it. You know, that's what great I mean? because of the column. I'm like, that's like more than I could ask for. That's awesome. That's very powerful. And uh, in terms of numbers, when you're a really small underground band and you look at brutal death metal as a scene, you know, there's not. But that's like a, a lot. 
that's a lot of people, dude. So, you know, it feels good. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, just giving something back. And like I said, I just have this tremendous excitement for new music that I've always had. And, you know, I'm still kind of like feeding it all the time. And it's it's just fun for me. You know, it's just just what I do. And it's been cool that I can kind of apply my obsession to the Black Dahlia world and use our platform to kind of help bands out. And a yeah. lot of it, you know, like I, I look at a lot of metal publications, uh, you know, especially the web-driven ones, and uh, I just saw a huge hole for the bands that I like, and I was like, am I in the same scene as these other people, or like, what's going on here? So I know exactly what you're saying. I understand there's certain bands you got to push to like, you know, make money and stuff like that as a, as a metal site and to keep the lights on. Right, right, you know, but like, there's just this. I felt like a blind eye was kind of being cast towards a lot of stuff that I liked. And I was like, well, this is my opportunity. Let's, um, you know, shine some light on some different corners of the underground that I usually see. And, uh, yeah, it's been fun, you know, for a, a while I was taking on way too much work to do the column. Like I was doing 30 bands a month and writing like three or four paragraphs on each one a month. 30 bands in the column. (laughs) Yeah. 30 bands a month. I would, I would like showcase basically holy shit so dude. and uh after a while that just became you know i set the bar way too high for myself <laughs> and i just got tired of writing this is skull crushingly brutal face meltingly you know <laughs> like i just i ran out of funny adjectives to uh you know so it, it kind of morphed into a um spotify playlist that i do monthly now which um it kind of paid what's it called it's the obituarist the guy that writes the obituaries you know <laughs> yeah I, I do it through a uh, metal injection and uh now i can do way more bands per month but i'm not writing about them you know so uh it's a little bit of a different beast and also it feels kind of like it's kind of shitty to ask people to buy these records while you're um handing them a playlist on a streaming platform that they've that they've paid for you know what i mean and they're like more like more likely to be going down that route obviously so you know it feels the it's not as um you know helpful i don't think as it once was like doing the column but like i said dude i just got tremendously burnt on uh you know using those like relapse records descriptors you know (laughs) dude there's only there's only so much you can do and also with your day job is uh an intense day job i think i gotta say though that in some ways, there's nothing better than actually just hearing a band. There's something that I guess a description could never do. And so I get what you're saying, uh, but in some ways, maybe if I was to read something versus just be able to play it, I would choose to play it. Right, right. Yeah, I'm hoping that, you know, people have the same enthusiasm for it. And I hope it's been helping bands out. It's a little bit harder to measure, you know, it's yes, h- how I, uh, I get successful that. it is with uh, it being on Spotify, but uh, it's it's True. been fun, you know. I I uh, you know I've been doing uh, my usual amount of music hunting during this uh, pandemic. That's kept me kind of happy, and uh, also you know having an album drop right during the beginning of it, you know, was uh, something to keep me occupied and keep me in a positive mind state. And you know, a lot of press came following that, and which was good kept me occupied dude you, you've been you've been going non-stop actually speaking of your record i i had brian slagle on the podcast like two weeks ago we talked about your release and just the whole issue of releasing stuff right then and there what he told me was that 
you guys were locked and loaded when shit went down. It was too late to pull back, but it actually worked to your advantage. And I'm not surprised. I feel like if any band would do all right, it would be you guys because of what kind of connection you've got with your audience. And like last time you came on, you told me about that Facebook group and all that work you were doing to keep, just keep connected with them. And so I'm not surprised that it worked out basically is what I'm saying. Uh, you know, uh, I, there were some moments where I was scared, definitely going into it. Well, yeah. But I feel the same way. I feel like ultimately it played out to be very advantageous. You know, there was very few albums coming down the pipeline at the time. And, you know, we could have been stuck at the end of an album cycle with literally no new content to offer the world. That would be really scary. Yeah, that that would be the worst position, honestly. So, um, you know, we took a hit on on uh, some sales the first week because we, you know, weren't out on tour with Testament like we should have been. We weren't, you know, making puppy dog eyes at people at the merch table to buy the new record. So we took a hit. Yeah, and the world was melting. <laughs> right, the world was melting too. Nobody could go to the store to pick it up. So that was kind of a, a drawback. But, you know, the fans uh, definitely showed up really hard. Uh, as you mentioned, the Blast Fiends group, they're all over it. You know, they kind of like street team for us and go to all these crazy lengths to kind of back us up. And, you know, they really showed up for the record, of course, and did what they could to kind of amp it up from their angle. So, you know, I really appreciate the hell out of that. And, uh, you know, it kind of leveled the playing field as far as the charts go. And we were still able to chart probably where we would have anyway, you know. Yeah. And honestly, the whole shutdown, I think it, it, it invited more press for the band because people were stuck at home with nothing else to do. So you had all these like Skype, you know, interviews coming out of the woodwork and it was kind of the perfect storm of press in that way. You know, I was doing at a time I was doing like 10 interviews a day for a while, man. And my, my lips were smoking for, you know, dude, you were going nonstop. It's impressive. It's first of all about taking that hit. I don't think that like, I understand a lot of bands took a hit, but I don't think that, like, it counts against you guys. I think everybody understands the situation for what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, I feel that, too. You know, when it comes back to, like, be those numbers being looked at in the future, there will be an asterisk next to it, basically, that said, oh, yeah, it was during the pandemic, man, and yeah. actually this is really good, you know? So, So I'm cool with it, man, and honestly, it's been such a positive thing to to give people a new record during this and like when they need some distraction they need something to be hyped yep. about and um it helped me in that way too man i had so much you know so many uh positive things surrounding me because of the album and uh you know good feedback and just excitement and it just kept me kind of tunnel visioned on this thing and was good for my brain man it definitely was right on time to kind of distract me from the weight of this entire thing for a while and you know that's very honestly like it, it played out as well as it could have i think you know like we could be stuck with no content coming out you know we had we were very lucky to have so much pre-recorded stuff and um, like I said, the kind of perfect storm of people wanting interviews, the lane, the way was clear. People were stuck at home, glued to their phones, even more so than they ever have been. So, you know, they were right on the receiving end of every, every, you know, bit of info we were putting forward. So honestly, it just worked out to be a really weird, really cool <laughs> thing. And, you know, like 
we as a band, I think, have too, too much pride to ever relent and just stay home. You know what I mean? And like take a break. What kind of pride do you mean? Uh, we've just like we've re- literally been touring every second we've been able to since 2003. Yes, yeah, so you guys are like the hardest working band I've ever met. We've never said no. Like there's just, you know, so like we weren't going to either. So it, it took something like this to make us stop. And basically like I'm relaxing now. I'm getting energized in a way that I didn't know that I needed. Yeah. You know, like I'm Man. really feeling good <laughs> and really just kind of like we never would have done this. We never would have taken this time off. And it took something like a plague. It took basically every other band being – um you know, cock block too. Like, you know, as long as everybody else can't be out there touring, then we're comfortable with it. You know what I mean? We'll finally stop for a second, you know, but <laughs> I totally relate. Cause, uh, with nail the mix, that's got to travel every single month for it. And it's been that way for years and so much travel, like the amount of travel I've been doing is equivalent to full-time touring. Like, like for instance, the, Last quarter of last year, I was home four days and it was just like, you know, three days, three days in Denmark, then like four days in LA, then two days in New York, just like insane. And I was, I was starting to feel myself burning out and like wondering how the hell am I going to be able to get some time to recharge? Cause this is like, this is nuts. And I didn't see Cause we're not, we can't stop. Like it's a monthly thing. Like there's no way to stop it. So it was, I was just kind of, I guess, resigned to the fact that I was never, ever going to get a break. And then this happened and, uh, it's been super, super positive for me on a personal level. So I completely understand. And I think that what you said about having something positive to tunnel vision on is the key. I've noticed that people who are losing their minds right now, it's generally because they don't have something to tunnel vision on. Everyone I know who's got like some really specific focus are doing great. Uh, that's what you need, man. You need a creative outlet. You need to make something right now, you know. Um, even if it's just for yourself, you know, just make some music or, you know, do something, man. Like being creative feels so good and it's so freeing and it's just so healthy for me, you know what I mean? And like it's it's a different life being in this band now than it once was. Like we don't have practice regularly anymore you know we've been spread out across the continent for a while now and uh that's the kind of thing i could really use right now is like a band practice where we can just get together and talk some shit like the Mm -hmm. old days you know what i mean but uh that's kind of gone from my life pretty much we still get together before a tour for a couple of days but i do miss the kind of catharsis of blowing off steam with the men, you know, every, every week. And so, yeah, you know, right now being in a band, is just having a new record out that you can't play anything from and, uh, <laughs> you know, doing tons of interviews. And, but like I said, man, getting trapped with no content and just, we could have been right at the end of a record cycle with nothing to, to nothing to show for right now. So I think we got honestly very lucky you know, I'm happy with how it played out. And, you know, I'm just hoping that there's still momentum for this record when we like roll into the tour finally, you know, when we're out, able, able to get out there whenever that is. I'm sure there will be. You said something interesting to Ben when you did the pre-interview that I wanted to ask you about. You said that uh, moving to Cameo felt strange, like prostitution 
almost. I wanted to I wanted to talk about why. Sure. I honestly I'm finding Cameo to be a little easier in that regard than Twitch. And Twitch I feel the same kind of guilt like I don't know, it's just it's weird. Like I'm getting paid for like a non-existent product it kind of feels like, you know what I mean or like it's just I don't know. I do so much, um, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies like with the band that it kind of feels weird to like monetize that suddenly. You know what I mean? Like I've always been really fan forward and kind of like that guy. You know, this I understand that this is like how the things are changing. And this is like a very common transaction now. And there's tons of people utilizing this in the digital age. And, you know, it's not abnormal at all. It's just kind of like something I need needed to adjust to a little bit, you know, but like with cameo, I feel a bit more like each message is personal and you're making somebody's day. Um, some of the people are sick. Some of the people are, you know, just fucked by COVID right now. Sometimes I'm roasting people, which is fun, you know, <laughs> roasting. Like, are they just like roast me? Uh, well, they usually send it to another friend. They're like, all right, one guy had me like rip on his friends, like, um, Kiesel guitar that like didn't have a headstock and shit. And I was like, he told me to tell him like, how are you going to fucking hang that on a wall, dude? Like, you know, like and all this other stuff. So it's been interesting. It's been, you know, there's been a lot of different, um, kind of things people want from it, you know, but just that, like, I know for sure that I'm making somebody happy and, like there's like a surprise element to it. Like it, it feels more like, I don't know, like I made some sort of genuine product to give them. I don't know, like it, uh, Twitch can sometimes feel like OnlyFans, but without your pants down, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying, especially because you guys are the kind of band that has been in people's faces physically forever. You know, some bands take breaks from touring or, or whatever, or like a lot of newer bands establish themselves online first, but you guys are road warriors. So I can see how that would feel weird because, yeah, like you said, you're not just road warriors, but I know that you hang out with fans a lot as it is in person. So I can see how it would feel weird at first, but... I do agree with you, man. It's completely normal now. It's not a weird thing. Yeah, it just it just took some adjustment too, you know, definitely. Yeah. And um, I haven't been on Twitch in a couple of weeks. I kind of like took some time off with like the whole George Floyd thing. And yes. right when the world took turned super duper ugly, I decided to step back and just like give room for voices that needed to be heard, you know, and not kind of crowd the lane with my bullshit entertainment. You know what I mean? But uh, I'm definitely uh, plotting a comeback on that front. But um, I have been hitting Cameo pretty hard in the last week and... It's been fun, man. It's it's definitely been fun. But yeah, there was like a little bit of a growing pain there where, um, you know, I just felt like I was charging for something that like I just do all the time normally, you know what I mean? So it was kind of like a like a weird beast to switch like that. Yeah, I, I kind of felt that way when I started URM, like I'm getting paid for talking. It's kind of weird, but it's it's the age we live in. Information and connection matters in a way that it's not that it didn't matter before, but this is how people connect to people and learn things. But it, it took me a little bit of adjustment at first to 
be comfortable with the idea of getting paid to just talk about things because it's not a physical product. Right, right, for sure. That's kind of, that's kind of the same the same thing I was feeling. But you know, um, to be on Twitch during this time, where um, a there's more people on it than ever because of you know yes, there's they're, they're home. home. People are stuck at home with their their phone in their hand. It feels good in a way that like you're distracting people from all the negativity. You know what I mean? With like, I can go on and tell some jokes and answer some questions about the band and, you know, it's no skin off my back. You know, it feels good. It's a distraction for me too. You know, it's a good thing to reach out to some fans, make some people smile, make some people happy, make some people laugh. You know, I love to do that. So it's definitely an opportunity to do that. And in a way it's been good for my, my spirit too, just to like, be like, all right, this thing still exists. The band still exists. People still like it. I'm talking to them right now. You know, (laughs) the floor hasn't completely fallen out. Right. Right. On the topic of new bands, uh, I'm just wondering if you agree on this or if I just wasn't looking, but I feel like things got weird 10 years ago in the metal scene. Like, There wasn't as much cool stuff going on. And I feel like right now is almost like a renaissance period. There's so much good shit happening and there's so many talented bands coming up and so many great musicians. It's uh, have you noticed that too? Oh, for sure. For sure. You see like different corners of heavy music kind of like getting a uh, second wind or third wind or 10th wind by now. Old school death metal, but for example, you have all these 19-year-old kids popping up and making bands that worship like Autopsy and, you know, the more um, textured and the more um, cinematic bands out of death metal rather than just trying to be as... Pro Tools perfect or, you know, 300 BPM fast or, you know, you see people kind of getting into like different, I don't know, like just every corner of extreme music right now is like popping off pretty much. You know what I mean? You still have those like really slick tech death bands that are doing well. You have labels like um, Artisan Era that's run by uh, Malcolm from Inferi that's putting out a lot of those bands now and that's doing really well. You have like... The old school death metal scene that I was touching on, you know, Maggot Stomp is at the head of that, 20 bucks spin. Um, there's a lot of great labels to watch right now. But uh, yeah, it definitely feels like there's been a huge resurgence in the last while. I feel like if I were to walk into high school right now, you know, if they were open, that is. But <laughs> yeah, there would be nobody there if you were, if you walked into high school right now. I would see a lot more black clad T-shirt weirdos than I would have it in my own high school, where I felt like a really isolated kind of alien person. You know what I mean? I feel like it's um, it's 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 a perfect storm of a lot of things. I think it's the way politics are going and the state of the world. I think drives people to be more into extreme music. I think that they find a kind of cathartic release in that, you know? I certainly do. I think that um, also horror as a genre has become way more normalized in the last 20 years. The movie genre? Yeah, for sure. You think about um, okay. Walking Dead is like one of the biggest shows and, you know, people are getting disemboweled like every every episode. And like, I would have, I was praying for something like that when I was 10 and I was so, so into the macabre and so into like horror movies and shit, you know, like the world has definitely turned on that. I think the internet has also kind of taken 
in a way, it's worked against death metal, I think, because it's taken the shock value out of a lot of it. Nowadays, you you know, by the time you're seven, you've seen shit porn on the internet. You know, you probably said <laughs> fuck as your first word because the world is a different place than it was 20 years ago. You know, it's, I was at least 14 before I saw shit porn. Right, right. Now, you know, that's par yeah. for the course. I think by the time you're seven, you know, you've you've seen it all. You've been on you've been on the tour browser by the time you're seven. You know, but um. <laughs> I don't know. Just people are times are are either more violent or we're aware of more violence in the world because of the way that news travels now through the Internet. You know, it's definitely painted the world as a more darkened place, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The uh, whether it's actually a darker place or not doesn't even matter because if people think it is, then that's how they're going to react and that's how they're going to approach the world. For sure, for sure. Yeah, it almost doesn't matter if it is a darker place or not. Yeah, as long as it's in the news that it is, you know what I mean? Like, then people get scared and, you know, people get fucking, get their um, guard up, you know, so. I also think that it's a response to what was really huge in heavy music for a long time because, yes, there have been great bands, obviously, for the past 20 years, but there was also... I think a lot of the the generation after the scene stuff, I feel like they're rebelling against that. The way that generations often will, you know, they'll take whatever came before them and try to one-up it or completely destroy it. The way that grunge destroyed hair metal. I feel like, uh, you know, now you're seeing a generation that thinks that the scene stuff is a joke and are responding with super brutal music and not just super brutal music, but also like even just like the prog bands or whatever are like more insane than ever. Like everything, the genre blending is more insane than ever. Like everything is just more insane than ever as opposed to very sterile, I think, a very sterile kind of thing that was big. And what you're saying definitely reminds me of how fucking huge Gent was for a while and how huge like like gent influenced metalcore was for a while. And like you said, like, yes, uh, there was that whole like super duper sceny time from like the early two thousands. You know what I mean? That's like kind of been put to bed now. Yeah, dude, times are changing. Times have changed for the better from, from my opinion, you know, I was about to say, yeah, definitely for the better. Yeah. I'm definitely, um, just really stoked about how many young people are into uh, good music now. And it definitely felt like pro tools and the kind of like home recording era. It really opened the floodgates of like, there's, there was too many bands. There, there's still too many bands right now, but it just felt too many bands really, and too many producers. really oversaturated down that metalcore lane for a while. There was so much music coming down that pipe, and just so little like deviation. It felt like, and um, man, I remember thinking, "This, when is this gonna go away, dude?" You know, and then I kind of didn't notice when it did. It just kind of shrunk back slowly, and. You know, new stuff kind of came in and took over. It wasn't as drastic as like when grunge destroyed glam or whatever. Right. I mean, you could like pretty much mark that to the day like the single came out. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> pretty much. But it was definitely more gradual than that. Yeah. Like now um, you have ICP calling out uh, a guy from like Blood on the Dance Floor or some kind of sceny band. <laughs> you see, yeah. yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Is it interesting to you that 
the perception of your band has changed? Because I've been listening to you guys since the beginning, and I've always thought that you were a melodic death metal band that was... Like, I always thought that you guys, and I told you this last time, I thought you guys were the next step after, like, Carcass and At The Gates. Like, that. To me, that's what you guys, like, refined the shit out of that style. That's how I always I always saw it, too. And those were, like, the direct influences, you know? It was, like, The Crown and In Flames and Darkane. And uh, a lot of the bands that we were, like, worshipping at the time had just taken this, like, left turn towards commerciality and new metal, like Soil Work and In Flames and even Dark Tranquility at the time were inviting all these clean vocals into the mix. And we were pissed. We were like, I don't like where this is going. Yeah, you guys kept it true to the genre. So I thought it was weird that you guys originally were, like, lumped in with the scene stuff because... I would hear you guys and I'd be like, this band's legit. Can't people hear that? You know, in a way we got lucky with that because I think if we had just been seen as this, you know, very straight laced and, you know, traditional um, uh, metal, a death, death metal band that maybe we wouldn't have gotten so many high profile kind of opportunities. You know, I think that True. being called first metalcore was like the first tag that we like got lumped into. And, you know, at the time you had Azalea dying, becoming really big on earth, becoming really big. And we are in the same like release span as those, those albums. You know what I mean? You don't sound anything like them. And we were on, um, tours with those bands at the time. And we were in, um, especially once the second record came out is when we started to get a lot of press and we were kind of mentioned in the same breath as as that scene a lot, you know. Then it kind of morphed into deathcore when deathcore became came to rise. You know, we had similarities in the vocals. You know, I think that there was a certain amount of influence that um, people maybe took from our band, uh, certain corners of deathcore for sure. But um, then we were called deathcore, you know. But uh, the the moral of the story, honestly, is that when I look in the crowd now. I see all walks of, of the underground, you know, I see people that, that file us as all different things. And I had to learn to not care pretty early because Good. no matter how I stomped my feet or said what I said about it, people perceive you in different ways. You know what I mean? So, um, even, um, you can't control that. Right. And when it comes to like assembling tours, we've uh, adopted that mindset, you know, like if I had, a, you know, if I was going to have my guard up so badly and only tour with bands that I really felt comfortable with and really liked, you know, it, it would be a, a much more narrow spectrum than what we've been able to do. But it's realizing all the different, you know, categories that, that fans put us in and kind of trying to honor all of those and, you know, just trying to honor all our different kinds of fans and all the different walks. So you'll see us going from tours with metalcore bands to really extreme deathcore bands and and death metal bands and, and black metal and kind of anything in between, man, because we've been really able to just put our fingers in so many different avenues, you know, like uh, with Ozfest uh, on the second record, like that was a huge turning point for us. Like I never saw us going down an avenue so commercial i never thought we'd be invited to do something like that i didn't know that like in the next couple of years that you know sounds of the underground was going to be a thing and mayhem was going to be a thing and like that there would be a platform a big platform for bands like ours you know like in that sort of form format you know i had no idea i always thought like we were just going to tour with death metal bands and kind of like i was going to be okay with that you know but i see now that that might have marked like an early 
not an end for the band, but maybe a sort of glass ceiling, you know, like we didn't know that the band was going to have so much crossover appeal and like take on like the the life that it really has, you know. And I think that those kind of miscategorizations or, you know, different perceptions like are really directly responsible to us being here today and, you know, still me sitting here and talking to you. I think you're right. So like I'm I'm thankful. I'm very thankful for how it's played out, you know, like I never saw us as a band that could be on warp tour, you know, and we did get some flack from that for our fans, you know, but um from some of them. But there's been a lot of moves we made where we got some flack, you know, that were considered sellout moves. And I think that just happens when you're a band and it happens when you stay around for a long time and it's kind of par for the course. But you know, like being on warp tour wasn't necessarily my most my most proud moment, maybe, but I saw the merit in being in front of like thousands of new people every day. And honestly, it's one of those tours where it's the first thing your parents will let you go to by yourself. You know what I mean? I don't know why you would turn it down. Exactly. Like, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes, like a, a band that's as established as you guys wanting to continue growing and keep the lights on and just keep being a band. Why would you turn that down unless you had... You know, unless you're direct support for Metallica or something, you know, like it seems like why not do it? Exactly. I figured, you know, um, we're coming as us. You know, we didn't change anything we do to be there. We just come and play Black Dahlia murder songs, swear at the crowd a lot. And, um, you know, um, honestly, it was a good opportunity to scare the shit out of some people that didn't know what they're getting into. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, uh uh, I think, and on that particular year, there were no other bands of our ilk whatsoever. So we were literally this sore thumb band. And I think a lot of people were like, well, you know, it's three o'clock. Uh, don't really know what to go see, but why don't we go see that weird death metal band? You know, let's check it out. Let's dip our finger in this other world. You know what I mean? So in a way, I think, you know, we were able to bring in lots of new fans and lots of people that would have never gotten in front of us. You know, that's just a, just one example of like different avenues that we've been able to take with this band and and that have worked, you know, like we toured with Unearth and Terror. That was cool. You know, we toured with a, with a good handful of hardcore bands over the years and like those have always been cool bills. And uh, yeah, man, you just kind of got to put your pride aside, you know. And uh, see your band, how try to see your band, how other people see it. That's hard to do. It, it is hard to do, but you got to just, you know what I mean? You, you can't just force yourself to be seen how you want to be seen. That's not going to, it doesn't happen. It's not going to work. You know, if anything, people are going to just be like, all right, now this guy's having a fit about it, you know? <laughs> so you, you got to kind of roll with it, you know? <laughs> when you guys have made those decisions that you would call sellout-ish, because I, I don't think they're sellout moves, but I know what you're saying. Did you guys like? Did you guys know in advance that it would be polarizing, and, but a good decision either way? Oh, for sure, for sure, and uh, definitely, Warp Tour was the biggest example of that. You know, we met it with trepidation. We knew that there would be a little bit of backlash. We knew there'd be a lot of people sitting it out that were our fans. You know, but that's okay. I don't expect them to goes that far out of the comfort zone for us if they don't want to, you know, but um, there were still a lot of people that showed up that were, we'd normally see at shows, you know, that like braved the kind of storm there to be there with us, which was cool. <laughs> 
that that's asking a lot. <laughs> it, it, it was, it was, you know, we yeah. realized that. So like seeing the, uh, some of the regulars there was like a huge, huge compliment and meant a lot, you know, but, uh, for the most part, it was just kind of like stepping out into this new territory and, uh, you know, it was definitely weird. It was definitely a learning experience, you know, like, um, a lot of the bands I think only play on warp tour and don't tour regularly. I think you're right, yeah. They were ultra excited to be there. So like you're standing in this line to go eat that's like two miles long and all these like guys and bands are like turning around in the line and like, hi, I'm Joey. You like and like want to make friends and like <laughs> it's in a weird way, it's like Jesus camp. You know what I mean? Because like you have all these bands there that like they don't <laughs> grind it out. They don't have like go through these like miserable tours and stuff. And like, this is like some kind of summer camp to them. You know what I mean? But to me, it was like, it was like mayhem, but a way more annoying version of mayhem. Mayhem was way cooler. And just one more tour in a long ass line of tours. Right, right, right. So I was just kind of like, God, shut up, man. Like get away from me. I always found that interesting, that dynamic that you'd see on certain tours or festival shows, like the difference between the lifer bands and then, yeah, like the summer camp bands. It's like a completely different vibe. It's it's a really stark difference, I think. You know, and then like looking back, I remember being on the other side of it. Like I remember when we did Sounds of the Underground, for example. And you were the summer camp band? Yeah, we were. We were literally in a van yeah. and we were camped out in our fucking lawn chairs all day, every day in a parking lot. And somehow I had the time of my life. If you, if you tell me now to get in the van and, uh, you know what I mean? That like, we'd be doing that same exact tour at this age. I'd be like, I don't think so, homie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair enough. Right. But it, uh, I, you know, like you're more resilient when you're young, you're more, down for the punishment your body can take more your liver can take more you know I, <laughs> man i think that a uh, part of keeping a band going for the long term has a big big emphasis on uh knowing what your limits are physically and personally because uh it's such a taxing lifestyle i think when you're 23 you can handle anything but if you want to actually keep it going into like middle age or something you got to make decisions intelligently concerning what you can actually handle and what you're willing to handle uh for sure man for sure you know it's definitely come to um touring a little bit less now what does a little bit less mean for you like we used to tour I want to say there was years where we did like 10 months, you know, on, which is in, insane. Yeah, that's a and lot. And now it's more like six months. And we're fortunate in that p there is a demand for us now, you know, so we can like afford to sit back a little bit and create a little anticipation. Whereas before, we would just do four U.S. tours in a row and drive from one to the other. You know what I mean? Like, cause there was no, no yes. demand for the band. So we weren't like oversaturating anything necessarily. We were just trying to like get on the radar period, you know? So now, um, thankfully we can step back a little bit in that regard and not tour as hard as we once had. Six months is still a decent clip. It's good. It's good. Yeah. You, you know, I'm it's, it's enough. There's still those uh, South American tours that are really hard. You know, you can't really, 
there's no way to streamline that one. You know, like it's it's still like go to bed at 3 a.m., wake up at 5 a.m. and get on a plane. You know what I mean? And then like spend an entire day before doors trying to get the drums to trigger, which are made out of like four different no-name drum kits with no bottom heads. You know, like, so... And hopefully there's power. Right. It's always mad stressful over there. Like, we played shows where, like, the stage wasn't grounded and we were getting electrocuted. Like, I don't know how to streamline those tours. Like, those are really the hardest ones, the the most grueling, where, um, you know, like... It feels like the promoters just like squeeze you like they they you come into the show, they have you there, they have you party and meet with people after the show and they don't get you to bed until like 3 and they know you're going to be on the plane at 5, man. It's like god damn, I have a show tomorrow and the next day and the next day, man. Like work with me a little bit. <laughs> also, man, with the South American tours, it blows my mind how many people show up like I remember doing one with Dark Funeral. Uh, so we did U.S. with Dark Funeral, and it was like, you know, Dark Funeral-sized crowds. It's what you would expect for Dark Funeral. It was fine, but, you know, black metal-sized crowds. And then went south of the border, and suddenly it's like 3,000 people, 4,000 people. It's like, holy shit. Oh, yeah, dude. They fucking love black metal. And um, I bet they, like... Get treated like the Beatles, man. You know where, like, oh people, yes, they got treated like the Beatles for sure. And, like, beating on the car and stuff, and you know, we've had like a few instances like that where it's kind of like kind of scary, but nothing to that level. But um, you know, you look at like Indonesia, and uh, they they love brutal death metal so much that uh, Disgorge, for example, from Cali. You know, like, brutal death metal bands definitely uh, have a hard time filling a room. You know, it's a very small genre in the States and a very niche kind of thing. But they have to move hotels in Indonesia because people, like, find out they're there and, like, come beating the door down. You know, (laughs) like, it's it's insane. Really? Yeah, it's it's insane. So, yeah, that kind of mania is is awesome, dude. (laughs) I didn't didn't realize that. Death metal was that big over there. Oh, dude, it's it's crazy, man. You can find pictures of the scene over there where, like, there's 10 little Indonesian kids on their bikes, like, posing like hard asses with these, like, double XL Discord shirts on and, like, all these, like, super colorful, brutal death metal shirts on and they're posing like a gang, you know, and they're fucking 10 years old. It's amazing. That is really cool. Do you guys get that kind of... Is it that way for you guys, too, when... You. It was the first show. I think that there was so much anticipation built up, and we were like at the top of the bill for like a ten band festival. There was must have been, it was ten thousand people there or something like that. I mean, that's a lot. It, it was, dude. It definitely was. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was one of those situations that was kind of frustrating where the equipment was really shot and. Um, it kind of like hurts your pride a little bit playing on all this fucked up equipment and not quite sounding as good as you should in front of 10,000 people. Right. Right. Especially like the first taste of the band too, you know, you want it to be perfect and you know, but you're working against these other odds that you're not working against in the States, you know? And, um, yeah, man, that kind of mania, dude, that's just, it's, it's wild to see that it's wild to, you know, it's definitely cool. But, um, I don't even know how we got here, man. We just started started filibusting. I don't know. We just talk. Know, I just I have a real knack for filibusting. <laughs> I I talk about anything on this. If I just stuck to like standard topics, I'd get bored and quit. 
basically. Is there anywhere else that you've seen that kind of enthusiasm? Like I'm always trying, I always wonder about like where are places that I wouldn't expect that still think that extreme music is like the biggest thing on earth. I mean, nothing that would surprise you. You know, I, I feel like um, I feel like it's it's bigger in Europe. You know, it's taken more seriously in Europe. Obviously, like there's a lot of festivals, extreme festivals, and different festivals for all walks of metal and stuff like that. Yeah, really, South America, I think, is where I see that that most kind of that mania, and um, Indonesia too, very uh, wild. I think for like a band like Discord is such a weird trade off. So you can play here in the US with your gear and sound awesome, but it's going to be not that many people. Or you can be a fucking rock star on like crate amps. Right, right. Yeah, it's such a trade. It's a weird trade off. Uh huh. But you got to realize like their, their scene is used to broken cymbals and used to like fucked up equipment and like. They don't have the same opportunities to get all this nice shit that we do. You know what I mean? They're lucky to get what they have. And uh, it's just a different um, world. But, like, they're so enthusiastic. They're so happy to see foreign bands come to those places. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's it's special. It's definitely a, a kind of energy that's almost tangible there, you know? It's very cool. Do you still get the jitters uh, when you play shows? Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. You know, like I'm a I'm a nervous person at heart, uh, anyway, and uh, definitely get the jitters before going up on stage. I don't look at it as a bad thing necessarily. You know, I think it's just natural. I think if you didn't, that would be kind of weird. I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think you might be some kind of like a weird flatliner. You know, like I think it's completely natural. I think that you know you're putting yourself on the chopping block to be basically judged. You know what I mean? Like every single person in the entire room is going to be forming an opinion about you and what you're doing. So there's, you know, there's two ways to look at that. You know, you can get stressed out about it or you can be like, all right, man, these are my people, dude, that, you know, uh, or like, uh, hey, we're on this, you know, we're doing support on this tour and uh, we're trying to uh, win people over, man. So we got to really give it to them, you know. So but um, yeah, dude, I get nervous. Definitely. Um, it's just it's natural. You know, in the in the early days, though, I used to get really nervous. I used to go out. So was that more like stage fright in the early days? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I would go out on stage. I would scream my fucking head off. First of all, I had no technique whatsoever and I had no idea that like all my favorite vocalists like were calm while they were on stage and calculated and breathing properly. And <laughs> you couldn't have told me that, you know what I mean? Like I'm just going to go up there and go psycho bro, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> within the first 30 seconds, I would already like had a huge adrenaline rush. And then I'm just like, with my energy and I can't catch my breath between songs. <laughs> By song it, three. It's just over at that point, you know, like it was over before it started, you know. So definitely had to learn a lot about um, technique and kind of like how to relax up there. And um, really a lot of stress comes with being the mouthpiece of the band and having to be that guy that like fills up the void when people are tuning. And uh, it can feel a little bit like speech class sometimes. If you let it get to you, you know? I mean, people say that public speaking is one of the most, that's like one of people's biggest fears on earth, pretty much. 
it's up there. Oh yeah, you know it, it's def- it's not my favorite thing to do, man. Definitely not my favorite thing. You're good at it. How do you get comfortable with it? I don't know that I I don't know that I am entirely comfortable with it. You know, I just kind of make myself do it. Um, alcohol is a good lubricant for that too. At least uh, <laughs> gets you into the uh, the Black Dahlia murder party mindset, you know. But yeah, man, you know, um, and a lot of it is just kind of like, all right, these are your people, man. They're here to see you. You know, this is your crowd. But they weren't always your people. No, they weren't. They weren't. You know, there's a lot of time where we were facing, like, I remember facing crowds that didn't want to see us at all. You know, uh, I remember when we were on tour with King Diamond and Niall and Behemoth. I think that was a tour where we were met with the most resistance by the crowd, like people like throwing stuff at us and booing us. And When was this? 2004, like late 2004. Ah, okay. So this is before like, Short hair metal bands were like a common thing, and we were taking the the brunt of a lot of like, you know, leather clad, patched up, kind of typical, you know, more elitist scene guys just like being like, we don't want these guys, man. We don't want, you know what I mean? And uh, I think we did win a lot of them over even on that tour. But um, yeah, we were met with resistance. There were some times where people were trying to like, I remember like having to like, Almost getting a couple fights, you know, during during some sets. And, uh, you know, it's definitely, uh, it felt like a war. You know, we're going on stage and we're going to be met with some resistance. But there's going to be some people that like what we're doing. And let's just go out there and fucking give it to them, man. Get in their face and see what happens, you know. But, um, you know, we've been, we've been very fortunate. We've had a really great ride and a really amazing trajectory. You know, it's felt like a a snowball that's just been growing since that first record, you know, and we've just been really lucky to have, to have made the right decisions, I think. And, um, you know, we're not the most original band in the world. I, you know, we never claim to be, we never claim to be anything else than a melting pot of, of sounds that we like. And, you know, I think a lot of the successes can be attributed to making the right decisions, making the right tours, um, kind of having the right blend of personality and um, approachability. I think kind of like when we stepped out and people took one look at us and were like, these guys are fucking nerds, dude. You know, I think that that worked both ways. I think it gave a lot of people um, that push they needed to like start a band. They're like, all right, if this guy with glasses can be the singer in this band and be on Metal Blade, like what what the hell am I having trepidation about? Let me, let me. Yeah, you guys are like, real people yeah we were kind of like just like the the people's band you know and it's it's always kind of felt like that you know so we've always wanted you know tried to be that band that broke down the fourth wall and uh kept a rapport going with the fans and um you know i've had people in other bands like try to give me advice like you're talking to the fans too much <laughs> and there's there's no mystery uh in shrouding your band at all and, you know, I realized that, yeah, there's no mystery with us. You know, you, you, you see what you get. But um, I also see how huge that's been for us, you know, how, how much the fans appreciate that and how it's, like, helped give this thing such a life. I think also, man, the fans, the thing that people don't see, and so I guess if they don't know that they're not seeing it, then it's not a mystery because they don't know. But the thing they don't see, in my opinion, is how meticulous everything is when it comes to like for instance putting the music together you guys are one of the most meticulous bands i've ever experienced and 
I just, I think that it's on a level where you have to, you have to be in the room with it to understand just how intense it is. And I think that because you guys are like, you guys are friendly and funny and down to earth. I think, I think that people don't realize how insane you guys are about the music um, and how much work goes into it. It's like, I don't think people know basically is what I'm saying. You know, I, I realize that too. Um, there's a tremendous amount of upkeep that it takes to play extreme music at this level. You know, now that we're not practicing together regularly, like there's a lot of homework to be done. You know, we, we just count on our guys to be like hammering it out at home and keep their chops up. And they can't slack. No, that you, <laughs> you literally can't, you know, at all. And uh, we're we're very fortunate to have the guys that we have. Everybody is like on the same page and works very fucking hard at what they do. And, um, but yeah, but the amount of work, like we've normalized making records at this insane speed that we do and writing music at this alarming rate and everything we do in this band is just at a hundred miles per hour. And it always has been, you know, we established a really rapid schedule for the first couple of records and have stuck with it, you know? And I think that like, uh, in a way, it's a sign of the times. I think uh, we're responding to um, music becoming so, uh, almost disposable to people in these modern times. There's so much, so many avenues to get free music and so many avenues to get streaming music. And you can have too much of a good thing now. You know what I mean? It's not like... Um, combing the thank yous in the death metal record and then like trying to go to the record store to find it, you know, like yeah. it's a whole different world now. So pumping records out and keeping for us, it feels like keeping things fresh. Like it's like with every album comes this new wave of excitement. There's new artwork to, for kids to be pumped on. There's new merch, there's new music, obviously, which is important. It's just like in terms of how rapid we move, it feels like, the two-year cycle has been good, you know, and we kind of morphed it into three with this al this album. Uh, it's the first time we took this long uh, between records, but um, the last album just was so met with such a great response, and it felt like there was still demand for us at the end of the usual two years, you know. It just felt like opportunities were still coming. Mashuga came into the picture, wanted us to go out with them. Black Label Society, there was still some more touring to be done. There was still like more, more momentum, you know? So that was cool. That was definitely cool. But, you know, we've been pr a prolific band because of just the way, the way that like information tr changes hands now. And just like, I think people like just see music as a little bit more disposable than, than they used to 20 years ago, you know? And so you guys responded by making as much as possible? Well, it's not like we're trying to just shit out whatever, you know what I mean? Like, No, no, I don't, I don't mean in a bad way. At the highest level of quality. Right. But to, to, be, to be prolific was something that we, we saw the merit of kind of early on and, you know. So was that a decision? It wasn't one that we like really a conscious decision. I don't, I don't think we ever talked about it. It's just kind of like when we fell into that, you know, what a schedule we established with the first couple of records, I think that we just, we just kept rolling with it. You know, it just, um, I think also Brian's brain moves very fast. Oh, uh, he, you know, he, he's, re he's relentless, you know, and, uh, 
he's the he's the guy I know will never say no, and he's the last word. You know, I think that people that people might see me as kind of like that figure in the band, but I'm not. You know, Brian is the business guy in the band. He's the dad of the band. He's the guy like if we're in Russia and our equipment is stuck in an elevator. And we turn and look at him, you know, like he's the last word guy. He's the the idea man. He's the boss, dude. You know, like he's the boss. So it's been a um, our relationships are different. Like I, I'm the guy that's out here in front doing all the press. He hates press, you know, like when um, when he gets interviewed. It's like the Wizard of Oz. Exactly. His guard is so up when he's getting interviewed. He looks at interviews as like. As like he's talking to the star and they want to like expose something about him and like ruin his life to get a headline. <laughs> you know what I mean? In reality, they're just going to print what you say. So use it as an opportunity to advertise what you're doing. And that's pretty much what an interview is, you know. But for him, it's like really invasive and like he's really tight lipped. And uh, I don't know. He's just really guarded about that. So he's very comfortable with me being out front and being that the face of the band while he's like the guy with the checkbook and like crunching the numbers and, you know, making the hard calls and that, you know, and I don't want to do any of that shit, man. So I'm, I'm very happy with my role. It's, it's, it's interesting, man. Cause I think one thing that fucks bands up is not being comfortable with their roles. Bands that stick around, it's like, they know what everyone's great at and what they're not. And, uh, they like give each other room to work. Uh, for sure. If, you know, bringing Max into the band, uh, Max Lavelle, uh, he has a lot of experience in the field of signage, like making signs and wrapping cars and like doing shit like that. So we're like, you're the stage guy. You design the uh, the scrims. Oh, you cool. work out yeah. that whole all that shit. He puts the shit up. He makes sure everything is good to go on that front. And like that's like his lane, man. It's it's awesome. And um you know, you, Brandon is like the the band's engineer now. You know, he he tracked the bulk of the last record. Um, you know, so we have the studio guy now, uh, which is cool. You know, we used to have Bart. You know, having Bart being like a, the studio savvy guy before. So yeah, dude, people definitely have their roles. Alan is kind of like spreading his wings a bit more in terms of doing press, and you know, we're kind of putting him out in front a little bit too. He's a bit more willing to do it, and he's a good orator, and uh, you know. Um, has a good personality, so that's definitely working out. But uh, yeah, definitely realize your role in the band and make sure everybody's in the right roles. And really, it's important, man. It's so important to have friends in the band. There would be no Black Dahlia Murder if, if we didn't keep it friends, you know? Like, I wouldn't want to be in this band. I wouldn't want to be stuck in a, in a van with people that I didn't actually love and care about. And, you know, so, and I wouldn't want to celebrate the victories that we celebrate with just some hired guns or something, you know, like it's a, a definite brotherhood. It's a definite family aspect to this band. And I can't imagine it being any other way, you know, like there's so much hardship and so much moments, so many moments that aren't glamorous about the touring life. Yep. Like you need a sense of humor. You need positivity. You need your friends around you to lift you up and you need to, yeah, man, you got to just kind of tunnel vision on this thing, you know, like black Dolly murder has been my entire life for coming up on 20 years, you know, and that's crazy. If you think about it. Oh, it, it is. It's, it's insane that next year it'll be, it'll be 20 years. And, um, yeah, dude, like, uh, 
you know, we try to bring people in the band that have that like mind. You guys have been really good about that, by the way. It's kind of remarkable that through the lineup changes, somehow, like, you've managed to get people who were not just on the level musically, but because, you know, when bands, you know what it's like when bands have lineup changes, sometimes it's like, doesn't feel like the band anymore, like starts to feel like a cover band almost. And people identify with lineups, but I feel like with you guys, I don't know, you you guys just find the right people for some reason. It's kind of uncanny. You know, like it's, it's exactly, it's, it's, it's so much more than the ability to play the songs. It's, um, yeah. You know, how they're, what's their outlook on life? Are they positive people? Um, are they going to laugh it off when the shit hits the fan? We've had some some negative people in the band, and it's so, it makes it so much harder, you know, like, say, uh, catering, somebody gives you some sandwiches, you know, and you have that one guy that's like, you know, this would be better if it was hot, you know? <laughs> if you yeah. have that guy for every situation, like, every good thing that happens isn't good enough, you know, it's like... You start to hate that person. You start to like hate his contribution to like the whole and it becomes like this like, you know, like that is so far from my life now because we've had this process of like vetting people and um Well, what is the process? I guess it's just trying to know them a bit first before really committing them and letting them in the band. Like we 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 had Al- Alan play on a record and he wasn't technically invited it into the band yet at that point I, I remember i mean we knew it was going that way but we didn't want to give it to him so kind of like frivolously you know what i mean like so yeah we had to kind of uh you know drag him across the coals for a while i mean he's been such a huge asset to this band he's such a great guy you know, i feel like there's a lot of drummers that are kind of a pain in the ass dude like an extreme drumming you know there's a lot of like <laughs> kind of a lot of divas of personalities a lot of divas a lot of personalities we've had guys that like they got too much praise and they kind of lost that cutting edge of like wanting to stay on top of their chops as much yes you know and um like alan is just like he's so grounded he's so dedicated he plays drums every fucking day of his life and um like he's been like the perfect drummer for us. He's he's really been like the perfect guy to sit in that seat. And um so yeah, man, we just have this band of of friends, they're my best friends and you know, but it, it it's important to get people that have the right personality like that are going to extend their extend their hands to the fans. They're going to kind of like have that joking personality that we kind of embody, I guess. You know, because I want, like you said, I want the band to feel like our band to people. I want the band to kind of, to have that same personality that it always has. Yeah. You know, to be like, like, that's important. It's not just about getting somebody that can play the licks, man. If you just do that, you're going to, who knows who you're going to invite into your band, man. You have to have, like, high standards for the the quality of the person, you know. It's just crazy that you've found people who embody the personality of the band and the playing multiple times over like you know ryan knight and now brandon for instance that's that's crazy to me oh dude for sure and um you know ryan uh when he was stepping down from the band he did such a great service he he told us a year and a half before he would actually leave he's such a great dude and the first name on his breath was brandon it was the exact same day he told us he was stepping down he's like 
Brandon Ellis, like I, you know, we knew who he was uh, beforehand, but um, he's like, he's the guy. I think he could do it. I think he'd be into it. And uh, in a lot of ways, he was cut from the same cloth of influence as Ryan. You know, he's a fellow rocker. He loves the the shrapnel records era of shredders and mm-hmm. the Aussie guitar players and that whole thing. And, you know, he, and Ryan just like being so selfless with it like that, he made that transition into the the Brandon era so painless and so seamless, you know. Brandon had more than a year of knowing he's going to come play to us with us. So, I mean, he he walked into the first practice and just destroyed everything, you know. Like he didn't need that. So, you guys hired him that far in advance? Well, we talked to him and we knew he was going to come in. Yeah. Okay. And you know, like it was established that that when when Ryan was finally going to like get off a touring circuit that Brandon would be ready, waiting and prepared and uh we took Brandon on one of Ryan's last tours to kind of like be a guitar tech and just kind of like you know see Feel the him show out. from that yeah, you know and see the <laughs> show from that angle for a while too and yeah, it was just so natural like that the very first uh, European tour that we did with Brandon like that first day on stage was like like we never missed a beat, you know. But, dude, that dude has been such a fucking blessing to have in the band, man. He's brought so much energy and so much creative juice, and he's been a real gift to the band. I mean, and he's an incredible, incredible guitar player. Oh, for sure. And just, like, the level of musicianship this kid is is working at is, is inspiring, and he's taught us a lot. And, you know, we're just, we're old, you know, we've been doing this for a long time, but we've learned so fucking much from this kid. And, um... It was really natural to kind of like step back and give him the reins when we were mixing Nightbringers, you know, like he knows more about the studio and frequencies and way more about that angle than than Brian or I. So, you know, we stepped back and trusted him with that. And I loved how it came out. And in this record, he wanted to track all of us and kind of like take the reins and be that like last word guy when we were handing it off to to, to Madsen, you know, mm-hmm. and he was he was the guy that like saw it through the whole session and um it's amazing to have a guy with that kind of drive and 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 knowledge and shit like come into this like salty dog band, you know, where we've been around so long and done things our way for so long. And, um, you know, trusting him like has been so natural and so awesome. And it feels like the be- the beginning of something with with him coming in the band, you know, and I feel like. We made a great record in Nightbringers and we turned a lot of heads and we excited our fans, but we also, it gave us freedom and to be more stylistic and to be more, just push ourselves into making more various music with this album. You know, uh, interestingly enough, I was at Tua Madsen's place because we did nail the mix with him last year, right when he was mixing your thing. So I heard it there. He played me a song and I was like, wow. This is cool. This is good. I was stoked. It's different. You know, I, f- I feel like it's a little bit different. Like, it's... It's a little, it's a little nastier. Like, I want to say overall, like, it's even less extreme than some of the albums we've done. Like, there's a little bit less blasting. There's a little bit more grooving out, which we never really played with before. There's a little bit more mid-paced stuff. There's some songs where we, like, close the hi-hat straight up, which is, like unheard of from us you know what i mean a bit more rock and roll in there a bit more 
new wave of British heavy metal. You know, I think that that's kind of the influence that Brandon is bringing into the fold, a bit more of a traditional metal, you know, injection into the band. I don't know. He just kind of like unlocked this sense of freedom and creativity and, um, Really, the focus is now to make the most powerful songs we can make, the most dynamic, the most gripping, the most emotive, you know, and I think that's that's what the the strong suit of this record is. I think it's the most, like, emotive shit that we've ever put to tape, you know? So with the engineering, it kind of, it makes sense to me that you guys would eventually become a self-produced band because everything about what you guys do, like, seems like, as in-house as possible, basically. Like you said, like with the scrims, for instance, it just seems to me like if you guys can do something, you're going to do it. Yeah, that's exactly us. And when we come into the studio, every lick is written. Every song is demoed out to the titties. And, um, you know, there's very little room for for deviation. Like, you know, we've given people production credits, like, um, but I don't think we've ever been produced in that, in like the very traditional sense where no i don't think so i uh, man i remember all the records i was involved with uh like you said they were completely written in advance it was just a matter of re-recording them higher quality for sure you know we've always been we've always been that controlling of it and that kind of anal retentive of of our thing and you know i wouldn't know what to do if we came into a studio without every song written like it would be like a really it would be a panic you know (laughs) you know some bands some bands do that blows my mind you look at pantera just coming in and making a record on the fly and like how amazing it comes out you know like uh those records were you know phil writing the lyrics in the studio and stuff and I, i just can't imagine doing any of that like uh the writing process for me is so long and painstaking and like frustrating that like you know, but but we're vastly different bands anyway, you know. But, uh, yeah, man, you know, it's just the way we've always done things. We're always very controlling. We're very, yeah, everything is done in-house, you know. So, like, well, I said, you know, like, we have given people production credits, but we haven't really let them stick their finger in the pie. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like we're sending them our demos and they're helping us rewrite melodies or telling us to do the bridge longer or... You know what I mean? Like we haven't like like given anyone the inch really to like do that kind of thing with our band. Like we've everything we've They're basically just engineering it really well. Right. Is, right. Yeah. So it makes sense to me that if you had someone in the band who could engineer really well, then what's the point of going elsewhere? Right. And you know that was so nice. Like we just had to go to Brandon's house in Jersey. For me it's an hour away by train. But um you know, his, his house is super nice, a super relaxed environment. You know, tracking with him just felt really natural. You know, there's always uh, being the vocalist and having to scream in front of somebody new every time. There is that kind of moment of like trepidation, you know what I mean, where you feel a little bit shy. But like, you know, Brandon is somebody that I've played a million shows with by now. And, you know, so it was very, very natural to work with him. You know, he's very creative. He has a lot of great ideas. You know, we, uh, we tracked. Like for with the guitars, for example, like we didn't cut and paste anything. Like they tracked every part of the album. 
so that it wouldn't like make your ear tired listening to it. You know what I mean? Why am I not surprised? You know, just like, um, just that was his suggestion. You know, like, he's so smart. He has such a like refreshing way of looking at things and, you know, like he's just brought a lot of information to light for us and a lot of new ways of looking at things. And it's been a fucking blast, dude. Honestly, it's been it's been awesome. That's what I mean, by the way, about the meticulousness, just taking the time to actually play everything just because even if the riff is played the same, it'll be just different enough to not tire out the listener a lot of bands don't do that oh i know and i kind of see you guys taking those kinds of steps with every decision like doing everything possible or everything as right as possible we don't quantize the drums anymore you know we just after a while we had a meeting sort of and we're like what is the difference between all these pre-2000s or you know pre-year 2000 albums that we love that are considered classics and the stuff that we do. And we're like, well, it's all this like quantizing and like sucking the life out of everything. And like, you know, it was a disservice to the drummers that we had that we quantized because we always had ripping ass drummers, man. Like why like suck the personality out of all these takes and just make the album sound exactly like everybody else's album that comes out now. You know, like I'm sick of that shit. I'm sick of, I'm sick of every snare sounding like a shotgun or a sneeze. Yeah. Or just like, and the same exact, you know, guitar tones on everything. Like there was a, a basically a time when we thought we got to go back to the old ways of recording. You know, we have to like, even though it's more painstaking, to do it that way, the end product is more classic sounding. It's more timeless. It's more energetic. It's got more personality. And um, that was a big, that was a big, like, you know, awakening for us was like, yeah, you know, we got to like keep it more lively and keep it more, keep it more real. It's just not the direction that everyone's going. You see, especially Tech Death when it comes out now is so pro tools to the titties. And like they like you have like certain records where like you can't even hear like a pick scrape. You know what I mean? Like it's just like the notes like being cut and paste like some kind of like guitar pro you know, thing. And like, yeah, it's almost almost like electronic music. Right, right, you know, and um, there's stuff, like, I like some of that stuff, and I know that, like, we have our part in influencing some of that stuff, too. You know, it was definitely a good move to, like, realize the power of keeping the band human, you know what I mean? And keeping, like, I think that the albums resonate a lot harder when they have their own tones and their own personality, you know? I've always wondered what the point is of, like, quantizing a drummer like Shannon or something like it, it, ne it never made sense to me because they're so on it already. They're not, it's not like they're playing fucked up. They're playing great. And they have such a great feel that all you're doing is taking a great performance and stripping the feel out because there's nothing to fix. Like, so I never understood why performances that didn't need fixing were getting fixed. Like, I get it if the drummer sucks. And there's some drummers who can't play kicks or whatever. Like, I get it. So uh -huh. you got to know how to edit that because it is, it is what it is. You can't give them a bad record just because the drummer fucked around. But when you get a drummer like Shannon or something or Alex Rudinger or any of these guys, what's the point of editing them? Yeah, I don't know, dude. You know, and uh, 
when um, we were looking for Shannon, when we were looking for a drummer, it was really hard, a really hard search to find him. But by the time that he was, uh, you know, six years later, YouTube had popped off and there were drummers everywhere. And mm -hmm. also, I think that like largely young drummers in extreme metal have been informed by the Pro Tools era. Like there's some really tight drummers that like have been working towards that perfection, you know what I mean? Or like, yeah, because they think that that's how drummers play. Right, right. So, you know, the, there was a, a, a big, big pool to, of drummers to choose from when we were looking for, for Alan. It was a, a, a whole different climate of, uh, you know, of, of talent out there. It changed a lot during that time. Yeah, I remember that back in the early 2000s, just finding a drummer who could play to a click was, uh, was like finding a diamond. Oh, for sure, dude. I remember like we were on like Derek Roddy's message board. You know, we were, we went to, um, Nam trying to find a drummer because they had that like bullshit, uh, fastest kick competition every year which you know you go see it with your own eyes and it's basically just bullshit but uh we thought well we'll find the speed demon we're looking for here you know <laughs> like, and you did <laughs> oh of course not it was just like all we did was get wasted and talk <laughs> to people with ze zebra striped cowboy hats on you know <laughs> my favorite kind of hats i've got a couple questions here from listeners that i would like to ask you okay so uh Stephen Rollins is wondering, what was the inspiration for the dramatic vocal style change from miasma to nocturnal? I feel like the biggest dramatic change was from the first record to miasma. Miasma was like the first application of any technique that I had picked up, like while touring. And, you know, we cut Unhallowed, like, while we were just a local band. We had never left the state. We'd never toured. We were entirely green, you know. And, uh, but, um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm trying to, I wanted it to be less screechy. I think it was less screechy on Nocturnal than it was on Miasma. Yeah. I really see the biggest change in my evolution was from the first to the second record. So I'm not entirely sure how to answer that one. I mean, when you're going from record to record, do you think about changing up your style or is it just your voice evolves naturally and you take on new influences cause you're listening to new things and. It's just a natural, organic thing. It's It's been mostly organic throughout this entire ride. I did kind of make a conscious decision to slow my delivery down on the new album and write at a bit slower pace to have less syllables crammed in. I have a real tendency to overwrite. Yeah, you, you've got a lot of words flying out. I'm a motor mouth, dude, and I don't know when to <laughs> shut up a lot of times. And uh, just the feel of Black Tallier's music is always driving and driving and driving. There's never like, it never stops. There's never like a backbeat. There's never like a break from that. So I always feel compelled to kind of keep spitting my rhymes. But uh, with this record, I tried to like give some of the riffs a bit of a breathing room, you know, and also, by making my delivery more slow and clear, hopefully make the album more hooky, you know, and more more powerful in that way. But uh, yeah, for the most part, I just do what I do, man. I just, you know, that's kind of how we are. Uh, we haven't really discussed anything during this entire time, except for after Deflorate, we were like, why didn't this album resonate quite as as much as as nocturnal with people and we realized that we were um 
maybe going a little bit too tech and kind of forsaking like dynamics and buildups and like the power of um, simplicity at times. And so we did come into the ritual album with a plan to be way more dynamic, mm-hmm. to have way more song feels, to have way more, you know, variance in the tempos. And that was the moment too where we started to incorporate like samples live. So we were able to, you know, put a string section in a song and be able to reproduce it live suddenly and, you know, put a piano note in there or, you know, just like all of a sudden we were able to make the songs go from 2D to 3D, it felt like, you know. So like that was like a one of the moments where we actually did have a talk about what we would do. But for the most part, it's just each record is the next batch of songs that we crank out, you know. It sounds like you had the talk because you felt like something wasn't quite right. And you had to fix it. Right. You know, and it was just really realizing that um, I think we are cramming too much info into one song and there was no relent. There was no moment of like. No moment to breathe. Right. Right. And now it's like there's moments to breathe. There's moments where it's going to get dense and, you know, that's going to be more powerful because there's moments when the, the song is open too. You know, so it's really just like learning what you can do with um, dynamics. And, um, you know, like I felt like we've had the formula for a good Black Dahlia song for a long time, but it's the, in the minutia that you can change that really like, you know, en- ends with a different end result. You know, like it's really like the small, small choices you can make in songwriting. And, uh, you know, we're still taking notes from all different kinds of music. We're still learning from all different kinds of um, music that we observe, you know, together and apart. Yeah, you know, a while back, I remember we were listening to to Eddie Money in the back of the van, <laughs> and uh, there was a part in the chorus where most of the instruments drop out, and it's just the vocal and the guitar. And me and Brandon looked at each other and were like, "Yeah, we're gonna do that in a song. That's awesome. We're gonna put that on the uh, on the short list of things to do." So like. You know, there's no shortage of inspiration from everywhere. And we're all we all love music, you know, like in the band. And so I don't know, man, you know, it's just um, it never ends. It feels like I feel like I still have so much enthusiasm for what we do. I feel like I see another 20 years doing this. Um, I feel like we are just now really spreading our wings into this like um I don't know, like a new creative era for the band. And I'm just excited to make more music and see where things go from here. Honestly, I feel like really liberated as that's like that's a, awesome. a creative that's force. You know, I feel I feel like the band is very young in terms of how we're still yet to grow as musicians. And, you know, I, I see so much life left for this thing, you know, like that um, I, I have the same amount of enthusiasm to do it. I have my tunnel vision is still set on this thing as you know, and yeah, man, I'm just thankful for the ride. It's been amazing. And I feel very fortunate to, uh, still be here. You know, it's amazing. sounds like everybody's tunnel vision is still and enthusiasm is still what it should be, which again, that's, you know, like we're saying earlier, like one of the things that fucks bands up is that they don't respect each other's roles. I think another thing that fucks bands up is that, you know, some members start to lose enthusiasm 
and uh, it affects the morale of everybody and they don't replace them. But it seems to me like through your lineup changes, you guys have managed to keep the energy up through the whole time. And, you know, like when someone wants to leave, they leave and you replace them with someone who wants to be there. Right. At first, uh, the first couple member changes were really, really ugly. And we were really, we took it really personally that like, that somebody's um, motivation could change, you know, and they like didn't have that like same tunnel vision on the band that we, that we once did. Dude, not everyone can be that way. That that's, it took me a while to learn that by the way. Oh, me too. Me too. And, uh, now, you know, I'm just thankful for everybody's contribution that's been here. Um, you know, when, uh, when Bart stepped down because he just like, couldn't take the touring grind anymore. I understood because holy shit, do we tour a lot, you know, and holy shit, it's not fun sometimes, you know, and, uh, it's definitely a grind. And, you know, Shannon shortly thereafter stepped down on the same tip. You know, like those, like we're still friends, you know, and and it's definitely better to be that way. It's it's better to, it's better for the band as a whole. You know, we've even made up with some people in the past that we like beefed with, like from some of those like ugly breakups and stuff. And, you know, it definitely feels better to kind of reconcile. But now, you know, like I, I know someday something will happen and somebody, somebody in the band is going to change again. You know what I mean? Like it, it's a, that's just the nature of life. It, it is, you know? And like, I know that if we play our cards the same way and keep the same standards and you know, that like, we'll be able to, to bounce back from it, you know? Yeah. That's, that's really, really smart and mature. I think it's just tough at first when you're super driven to understand, to like, accept that other people are not as driven or they have different motivations or whatever. It's just, uh, it's tough to, to get that. Yeah. It was, um, it was a heartbreaker, honestly. Like I took it so personally and like, it was such a blow, but I just wasn't being mature about it. We just weren't, you know, we were being very vengeful about it and very, you know, we just didn't know how to handle it properly at the time, you know? You do now. And I think it's smart to think that it might happen again. And now you know how to deal with it. Uh, for sure. You know, you just got to like be ready for anything, honestly, you know, just got to be ready for anything doing this. And, um, you know, like it's, there's a comfort in knowing that Brian is never going to stop either. Like we, we made a pact when we, when we started this band or when we got signed, like that we were going to put life on hold and take this to the fucking hilt and we've never, we never stopped. And like, this is the first time that we've actually like taken <laughs> a knee, you know, like fucking stopped for a while. But it's not like you stopped. You kept going. No, it had to be a catastrophe that stopped us. Like the only thing powerful enough to stop this train was like a fucking plague, you know? <laughs> so, um, like I said, I'm weirdly thankful for this time to kind of you know, get my energy back. And I've definitely done that. I feel like I've recharged in a way that I didn't like know I was lacking kind of. And, you know, but I am ready to get back out there. I'm ready for life to go back to normal. But dude, who fucking knows, man? It's going to be a minute. To my, uh, <laughs> exactly. Dude, I was yeah. talking to my, my, my uh, psychiatrist like on a Skype call. And he's like, 
you know, you know, like a year from now when this is still going on, and, you know, hearing your doctor say that, that's like, a, it, it hurts a little bit more than just hearing that from the internet or something, you know what I mean? Like, so I was like, oh, really, man, a fucking year at least from this? Damn it. Yeah, it's, it's a, we're, we're in for the long haul. So I think that's why I'm think like, I keep saying to people that they should, uh, make the most of it and ready their mind for it. Cause it's, we're, we're stuck for a while. So it's, a, it's kind of up to you how, how this time passes. Oh, for sure, man. For sure. You know, it's, it's been hard to be positive. There's definitely some times where it's getting to me, you know, like, uh, of course, just the, the constant flood of negative news and, you know, but, uh, yeah, you know, creating and, and turning to music as I always do has, it still has its power. It still works. It's still my favorite thing. And, um, you know, it gives me the boost that I need. And, uh, so, you know, I'm trying to be that, you know, I'm be that for, for other people. I'm trying to, you know, I'm glad we got to put the record out to get them something to like be into right now. And I'm glad to have all this press coming that's like distracting people. And I'm glad to meet people on Twitch and make them smile and make them laugh and like, you know, still have some kind of connection with the fans and like, yeah, keeping it going. I have a question here from uh, Dennis Tui. He says, I'm a Michigan resident and just wanted to share that the majesty DVD documentary was constantly played at our friend's house and really made touring look like a blast with your friends. What was it like to put those together and did you enjoy making them or was it annoying to have a camera there constantly? I bet Brian loved it. The second one uh, was a bit harder to make, but the majesty one was kind of the perfect storm. Um, we met Robbie who was the videographer, like on um, Sounds of the Underground, he was there kind of like shooting for them. And we became good friends and like we had a really similar sense of humor. And I think that was like the real key to making that video. So what it was, like uh, it showed us on um, Summer Slaughter 2008, which was the big Nocturnal tour, like when Nocturnal was like blowing up and it saw us above like Psychroptic, Cryptopsy, Cataclysm, um, Aborted, like all these bands that I worship, you know what I mean? So like that was a huge moment. And, um, you know, we were in a bus, which was rare for us at the time. And you can just see how excited we are to be there at that moment. Like it's... Uh, you know, it was infectious. It was, uh, you know, we were celebrating every night. You know, we were young. We were, uh, our livers were resilient. <laughs> and, um, you know, I understand that, like, that, that that DVD shows all the great that can happen on tour. And uh, none of the bullshit, really, though. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of, like, just funneled into the great times, you know? So, um it was, it's done a lot of things. It's, um, you know, it made people feel like they knew us, which was big. But then when you change a member, they want that member back because they were in the TV program. Because they feel they like made, it's their friend. They made the funny jokes, you know, they had the, they had the funny jokes. So yeah, uh, it definitely came back to bite us in the ass a little bit with that in that way. There's still people that I think hang on to that particular lineup, you know, because of, uh, yeah, they, they just felt like they knew them, you know. They felt like they were um, 
So, you know, it's a powerful thing what you can do with that kind of media. You know what I mean? You can definitely, I don't know, like it just, it it was, it came at the right time for us, like the release of it. And it was kind of the perfect storm of, uh, you know, it was cool. It was great. The right DVD released at the right time has been massive for bands. And yeah, I think, I think people identify with the people in them. They, it's, they do kind of feel like it's their friends or something. Yeah, you know, and I, and I feel like every metalhead is kind of my friend by default. So, I, this is how I look at it, man. Like I look at like, like me being being so into my own world here is like perfect for me because me in the normal world just like does not compute, man. Fair. <laughs> I do not belong in the normal world whatsoever. I'm way happier talking to my other fellow nerds and kind of like putting my blinders on to everything I hate about the world and just doing my own like neurotic rain man kind of thing, you know, well, I'm glad you figured this out. I've, I've definitely mastered like painting myself into a happy corner. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, it's been awesome talking to you again. I think there's a good place to stop it. I just want to thank you for coming on and I'm glad we got to catch up. Ah, dude, thanks for having me, man. I was looking forward to it massively. That, that last interview was, uh, was was something man i uh got a little teared up during that it was uh i remember it was uh, an emotional journey it was very good very good so it's definitely looking forward to coming back today and uh yeah thanks for having me dude it was a blast as usual i appreciate it okay then another urm podcast episode in the bag please remember to share our episodes with your friends as well as post them to your facebook instagram or any social media you use Please tag me at ALEVYURM Audio. And of course, please tag my guests as well. Till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit URM.academy and press the podcast link today.